0: Hey, welcome back to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church podcast, where we have conversations about leadership, we get behind the scenes of church life, and we dig into what it looks like to follow Jesus as we find our way together. Please join me in welcoming our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lock here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Excited to have uh, a newer friend and first time guest to the podcast. All the way from the UK, uh, welcome Adam Dyer. Adam, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you. Great uh, to be last here. Time we, last time we hung out was in Ontario, but uh, we get to be kind of across the pond uh, today, have a bit of a, a chat through the tech. That's great. So why don't you uh, just kind of introduce yourself and help us get to know you a little bit in these first couple of minutes. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm um, originally from Manchester in England, big Manchester United fans love all sports to be honest um so also a seahawks fan bengals fan um hate to say it around toronto but um i'm a i'm a fan um of baseball but probably not the teams that you love so uh so you know a a little team um down in florida is is a, a team that i quite like so um it's a strange story. But yeah, so I um so I'm here from England but I'm lived down in the southwest now I lead a church called your community church. I'm married to Rachel um, who leads alongside me. We have four children. They're all fully grown. They're all out around the world doing their own thing and changing the world the best ways they know how and um, so yeah, I'm in a different phase of life. It's um exciting days. You're you're officially empty nester. Right. Well, one yeah, one our youngest is still around, and um, and they all pop back from time, right? They don't. You never actually lose them, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, they're. But yeah, they're um, yeah. We, it's it's the two
0: of us now, and it's I love it. You and I have connected uh, over the last couple of years through this shared ministry called Jesus Collective. Um, we're going right. to get into that a little bit later, but uh, just talk about uh, your role there and your are are you in the church and serving on the side with Jesus Collective or what's that connection
1: right yeah well this has kind of been an evolution so I've been leading the church here in Yeovil um for 15 years and church leadership wasn't a- anything I ever wanted to get into but um here I am and um but I I actually love it, and just spent the last fifteen years trying to reimagine what church can be, what reimagine what community is. What does Jesus? What does a kingdom look like in our community? We're a very active church. Um, Social transformation has always been right at the centre. You know, if if this is good news, and it's good news for everybody, like so, the the whole community should be transformed by the presence of God in the community. And if if we're here then God tells us that God is here. Um, so our whole community should be better off for it. This is good news for everybody. And um, so we have spent our time, um, you know, we're a fairly large church for a small town of about 50,000 people. For are a church of about 500. So, um, but Sunday's our quietest day. So we, throughout the week, we, those places packed with people. Right now we have, the, we have blood donations going on in our auditorium. Um, so hundreds and hundreds of people um, probably um, going through today to give blood. Um, we have parent and toddlers going on. We have a drop-in for the homeless going on. We have a drop-in for um, refugees going on. We have um, So we have a whole bunch of stuff. We, we do family support. We run a program with the um, government supporting around 200 families at a time who are in crisis, and we support them for a year and we help them... Um, find paths of restoration. Um, so yeah, there's families, there's refugees, there's homeless. Like we we do all this work, lots of youth work, lots of families work, um, support of the elderly, mental health programs, um, counselling programs, food bank, job club, um, all sorts of support. So this is this is what our building looks like, and we have a coffee shop. And so the place is just packed. You can't get a parking space for quite a distance. You everyone's kind of gathers around and comes in with a vaccination center. and um, from time to time. And that was obviously when the pandemics were on. We were a vaccination center most days of the week. Um, so we're, um, we are this big community resource and everyone has their place. And our view is that everyone in the town should see this as their church. They're part of this. They get to contribute. They get to speak in. So I've been doing that for leading this church, um, like say for 15 years. I was youth leader for five years before that. And then over the last year, Um, I connected into Jesus Collective because it felt like kind of my tribe. These are people who are trying to lead a more Jesus-centered way and um, explore different ways of doing church that maybe has been the traditional way over the last few decades and centuries. Um, And I kind of found this tribe. And then back in May, I was asked if I would step in and take something of a leadership role within that team. Um, They were going through a lot of changes and challenges. Um, And so I was asked if I could step in. Bring some of whatever I have into that around vision, um, strategy, um, direction. So we're trying to navigate that. But that's going really well. So I spend currently, the plan is like a day a week doing Jesus Collective stuff, four days a week doing Yovel stuff. But the Yovel stuff's running pretty smooth. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. I've, having been the engine driving stuff for a number of years, I'm kind of, I see myself much more as the rudder now i just steer and nudge and edge i'm lighter touch so um and it seems that jesus Collective is taking a little bit more time than the day a week so maybe a couple of days a week doing jesus collective mm-hmm. stuff three days a week doing your stuff
0: probably the first time we chatted was at a jesus collective workshop and uh mm-hmm. the, the subject was missional church and i was just I- so inspired by all the activity going on uh in in your part of the world and i I love the comment that sunday is our quietest day i think those listening from southridge can resonate with that at, at some level sunday is our our quietest day adam In your understanding of church was that always the case or how did you get to the place where you were operationalizing something that was far more missional than just an attractional gathering on the weekend Right. I think um, for me, it's about
1: authenticity. Like, we can, like, Sundays are great, but that's when we get to chill out. That's when we get to hang out. That's when we get to worship together. That's when we get to have coffee together. We get to learn a bit together. Like, that's great, but it has to, like, we were never the end point of the gospel. Like, and too much, I guess, of my upbringing um, Western Christianity, I guess, through my lifetime, like I was always kind of presented this gospel where I was the end point. Jesus died to save me. If I was the last person on earth, then Jesus would have still died to save me. Jesus loves me. Like I'm the end point of that gospel. And I, for me, I was just deeply uncomfortable with that idea. Um, we are not the end point of the gospel. We are participants in the gospel. Um, and we are co-conspirators with Christ, and um, so we're agents of the kingdom. So this always goes beyond us. We're not cups that receive God's blessing; we're pipes through which God's blessing flows to the community around us. And it, it actually came out of frustration, if I'm if I'm honest. I, I remember sitting at my desk, like quite early on in leading a church, and just going, "Okay, Jesus, so you said you wanted to save the world, but either..." and like the church was your plan, well, either you're terrible at planning, or we've got this wrong somehow, because the world isn't saved, is it? Like, we're not, it doesn't look a whole lot better. And it kind of came out of that frustration. And I felt this freedom, maybe from the spirit to go, well, then let's reimagine it. Like, let's, let's dream what it might be. And even when I was youth leader, I'd kind of gone, look, I'm not here to babysit your kids. I'm going to be out there on the skate parks and in the schools and in the youth groups and on the estates like and if you want your kids to be discipled they can come with me and do it with me like that was kind of my um approach and we worked with other churches and were like um so if there was problems in an area of the town um i would go to a church in that area of town and go look you've got a building i've got youth workers like let's work together and let's do something for this generation and they would kind of hand over parts of their building or whatever to set up youth centers in different parts of town so collaboration has always been a thing outworking what are we doing but the other thing i think we carry is imagination like we are children of the spirit right we are this god that speaks creation into being is the same god that speaks uh, that pours his spirit into us so you know and i think we live in an age of we have a we have a poverty of imagination and i think some of that comes through secularism i think some of that comes you know we like certainty we like binary we like polarization we like black and white um right and wrong we we love all of that and that was the that was the faith i was brought up with and um but but it's so deeply dissatisfying they and there's so much of a so what, I think. And so for me, there was this opportunity, not just to go, oh, let's go and do some nice things, you know, like, and some of these, you know, food bank that we do and all this it is amazing. It's, but it was kind of like, how do we reimagine how our community could work how do we reimagine how services could be delivered how do we um how do we use that gift of imas- imagination that we have that maybe we don't use enough um some of the freedom that we have to reimagine the, our community around us and and so it was very much that spirit like this we are not the end point we are um you know Romans 8:28 is what i often refer to Romans 8:28 says god works all things for good for those who love him that's a gospel of privilege. I love God, so God's gonna make sure nothing goes wrong for me. Everything's gonna work out great for me. Like I'm the end point of that. I mean, not saying there's not truth in it, but that is not actually, that is not actually what the Greek says there. What the Greek actually says there, and it'll probably say this in a little footnote on your Bible you can check. What the Greek actually says is God works together with those who love him to bring good in all situations. Now, that's a gospel of participation. That's a much bigger story. And that's so for me, that's the that's the gospel that we've been trying to communicate as a church. And I spent the so I, as soon as I kind of took on the church, it just felt like I was trying to a lot of my role was to change the narrative from this gospel of privilege to this gospel of participation, from this um, gospel where we're the end point to this gospel where. We are the conduit. We are the partners. We're the co-conspirators with Christ. And we get to reimagine our whole community and how it works. We get to love the everybody and the anybody. And so for me, it's kind of been a—it's been an exercise in what if. Like, let's give it a go. Let's see if this works. And some of the stuff we've done hasn't worked great, but a lot of the stuff we've done has, you know not just changed the direct people we're working with, but actually changed how our agencies and our government agencies and our schools and our health services work. It's changed how our community functions, has changed how neighbors see each other, has changed how people see their own community. And that for me is exciting. That's kingdom
0: in action. Fantastic, I love the pipes not cups kind of vision and, and, and who we actually are. And even your Romans 828 comment of a gospel of participation, not a privilege. I'm scribbling down voraciously <laughs> here, you're taking notes. Um, a- Adam, how would you say then, cause I want to get into the, our, our shared experience with Jesus collective yeah. and particularly this, this mindset of pursuing Jesus centeredness and not just right. pursuing it personally, but trying to operationally uh, operationalize it in our communities. Yeah. Um, how would you say Jesus collective has helped your church? Kind of move in that direction, starting with like, what does Jesus Collective offer for leaders listening who've never heard of it? What does it actually offer to help a church or a church leader? Right. Okay. So, I mean, I I found Jesus Collective.
1: You know, leading church the way that I've done, and we can go into some of the other theological ways I would perceive that. This, I always try. I always wanted this to be a very inclusive space. Everybody's in was kind of a starting point for me we don't exclude people, we don't draw lines that hold people on the outside, like everyone's in but we encourage everyone to gravitate towards Jesus. And when I discovered Jesus Collective, I was like, here's some people who are talking the same language. They might be at different points on the journey yeah. wrestling with different questions, but how do, we, how do we do church in a different way that is this um, broadly inclusive way, but also encouraging people to gravitate towards Jesus. And so Jesus Collective is a um, a community of church church leaders and churches who are trying to navigate that, like I say, in all different points, who are, who are asking some questions around how could we how can we lead differently. How can we structure ourselves differently? I'm frustrated, maybe even by the binary nature of some of the arguments that are going on in the church. Surely we can hold attention in the middle and learn to disagree well and love each other well in the midst of it. Um, I don't like some of the polarization that's going on. You know, it strikes me that a polarized church has nothing prophetic to say to a polarized society. Like, mm. we're. The world's better at polarization than us, but we're doing our best to match it. Like, <laughs> like, like, we have nothing to teach them. But if we can figure out how to hold space in the middle, how to live that tension well, how to, how to love each other despite our differences, that's something prophetically profound for our world to learn from. So I, I think there's, there's something exciting about that for me. In Jesus Collective is this space where, where churches and church leaders are, are trying to work this stuff out. We provide resources. Um, you know blogs and podcasts and videos and resources are going to stimulate conversation we provide hubs where people can connect and just be in a space with other leaders other people who are on the same journey and just go how are you coping how's it going what Pitfalls you're hitting, what struggles you're hitting, what things have you done that have innovated, that have blown your mind, or have done something new, and how can we learn from each other? Like those spaces are so valuable just to share vulnerable space with each other, and then we kind of do learning, like collaborative learning um, with each other. So we we kind of go on groups, and we might pick a subject and. You know maybe with a group of twelve other people and we go on a whole learning course maybe six weeks eight weeks whatever together to try and explore something together and ask questions and see how we can learn together so there's that that's what Jesus collective is and does and for me it was it was beautiful it was beautiful to see it was beautiful to find like oh here's some people who are who are asking the same questions who are trying to figure out the same um issues, struggles, like, with the same heart. Um, but it's first and foremost, how do I become a more Jesus-centered leader? Like, if I'm I'm not going to, you know, if you want to, as a, as a leader, like, here's lesson 101 as a leader. If you want to lead a church that prays, pray. If you want to lead a church that worships, worship. If you want to lead a church that impacts the community, go and hang out with your neighbors. Like, it starts with you as a leader. Like, you it's, this isn't theory; like this is practice, right? This is this is how we lead. And so, if you want to, if you want to lead a Jesus centered church, well, become a Jesus centered follower, like, before you become a Jesus centered leader. Like this is, um, they this is how we lead. Like it, we lead from who we are. This is why God has put you. If God has put you in a position of leadership, He's put you there because of who you are not necessarily because of what courses you've been on or what qualifications you've achieved, but because of who he is creating you to be, has something to give, something to bring, something to inspire people around you. So lead from who you are. And and so, yeah, if you want to lead a church that prays, well then pray like that's this is it's not difficult
0: yeah the, uh, the 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 very core of this movement for people both inside Southridge and others other leaders listening the very core of this movement is this mindset that really is is a theological framework right. it's a, a hermeneutic it's a way of understanding the bible and and the yeah. front to back story of god in the bible that yeah. centers on the person of jesus we, we yep. call it the difference between a centered set approach and a bounded set approach. <laughs> Adam, in your life, and when you talk about just as a, as a person, as a follower of Jesus, never mind a leader, h- how did that most grip you? How does that mentality a- affect you the most significantly to make the shift from bounded set to centered set and to put Jesus at the center?
1: Well, I mean impacted me in a whole number of ways. Like, I mean, I, um, well, I mean, how long have we got? I, so it's, you know, some of my personal story, I I kind of was fast tracked some of this. I mean, I grew up in a evangelical, conservative evangelical church. My dad was the pastor. Like, this was my world. This was my theology. Like, this was everything. It was my family, my church, my world. It was, it was like the whole thing. And I knew in that context you know i remember being 11 12 13 years old and being able to prophesy over people or having a real sense of discernment about what was going on with people i i, I knew i i knew the spirit was alive and active in me that was that was something i experienced um but this church was everything to me and then i, I got to like my late teens and turned out my dad been having an affair pretty much the whole time that came crashing down he was thrown out the church but we were all thrown out of the church Mm -hmm. my friends were banned from speaking to me like church was not allowed to have any contact we were delivered legal papers we're not allowed to set foot on the premises it was like it wasn't a great um period of my life and for me i found myself in a situation where i totally lost faith in christians and in church but my faith in jesus was never shaken Suddenly, I was on the outside of those boundaries, having spent my whole life on the inside of those boundaries. Now I was on the outside of those boundaries through no action of my own, mm-hmm. but just through familial con- connection. Yeah, connection. And, like, but I knew Jesus, like, and I knew the spirit within me. Like, and I actually went, I, you know, I, went and worked in the center of Manchester and, working in restaurants and bars and hung out with all the celebrities and knew the rock stars and the sports stars and the media stars. And, you know, like the list of celebrities I've met is like, you know, world famous people and hung out with and all that sort of stuff. These were my people. I hung out in gay clubs and jazz clubs and nightclubs. And like, these were my family. And they all knew I was a Christian. They all knew I wasn't going to get drunk. In fact, I just, it was easy to say I didn't drink. Um, Although I didn't have any religious issues with drinking. They knew I wasn't going to, sleeping around they knew i wasn't going to do drugs and they all accepted me and i had to wrestle at that point with here's a group of people who don't believe what i believe who all accept me <laughs> like inclusively like and abundantly who would absolutely have never been accepted by the church i was part of like and these people are being family to me and i i and there was something in that for me that i was like whatever god is up to they we have to get away from these boundaries of who's in and who's out. Like, whatever God's kingdom, like God, the language that is used in Scripture about God wanting to save the world, and like the the passion with which God pursues us through Scripture, they like, just doesn't tie with the meanness of spirit that I saw in my evangelical youth, like of this very narrow like bounds of who's in and who's out. And so for me, they. Like, when God called me back into church and back into leadership eventually of church, like it was like, well, we're going to have to do this differently. And it felt like the spirit was delighted by that. It was like, yeah, come on, let's go and do this. So for me, in that sense, there was a, um this can't be right. Like we have to go and reimagine it. And then I guess the next phase for me, I, seven, eight years ago, I went on sabbatical and I was exploring the whole same sex marriage thing. Like but I was exploring it different ways. I, you know, I Amazing, you know, internationally renowned leader mentoring me through my um, sabbatical. uh, The pioneer of um, inclusive affirming church in the UK, like walking with me through it as well. I went to see um, one of the pioneering churches in the US around this whole one of the first churches to be really, you know, strongly overtly affirming and inclusive, and for that community and. And I went there for a week and I was just like, I don't want to talk theology I've read the books. Like, I want to hear stories. I want to meet people. I want to, I want to see what's going on. And, and it was a really profoundly moving emotional experience for me. But what was fascinating was I came out of that whole sabbatical and that whole experience dissatisfied. I'd gone in going, so do I, do I go to an affirming stance or do I go to an orthodox stance? And I came out entirely diss- dissatisfied with the question because it was binary, because it was polarized. I was going, yeah. that's not enough. It was like too many of the churches that I was going, oh, these are affirming churches. I was like, you're not any more inclusive than you were before. You're just including a different bunch of people yeah. to, and you're including a different bunch of people. Like, that, I'm not gonna go through all the emotional trauma and all the whatever. Like for what? Like, We're not any more expansive. For me, what does it look like to be really inclusive? How do you hold space in the middle where you can have the same-sex couple alongside the devoutly conservative, orthodox Christian? And they can find space to love each other, first and foremost. They don't just tolerate each other, but they love each other. But also, they don't spend their time trying to persuade each other of their points. They disrupt each other just by their very presence and relationship, and they discover aspects of Jesus that are not possible to l- learn within their own circle. You know, everyone has something to teach us about who Jesus is. And if we just spend time with the people who are like us, um, then um, then no one is going to, then we're not going to learn anything. There are aspects of Jesus that I can only learn through you or through so and how? So how do we create space? How do we extend the tent in both directions? How do we hold a broader um, tension? How what does real inclusivity look like in this in this sense? And that for me has been the pursuit and the passion of the last eight years. How do we how do we do this so profoundly differently that we learn to hold the tension in the middle and and make space? Because I'm just as dissatisfied when the church rejects an um, LGBTQ um, person. I'm just as dissatisfied when an affirming church tells an Orthodox Christian that they're bigoted or unkind or hateful or, mm-hmm. or transphobic or whatever it might be. And I'm like, That's, it's not okay for us to treat each other like that. How do we hold the space so that we actually get to see each other? How do, we, how do we eliminate that dehumanization? And for me, the whole point of Jesus-centeredness is about relationship relationship with God and relationship with each other. And when you draw a line, I disempower. If I draw a line that puts you one side of the line, I disempower your story. Hmm. You might have traveled a hundred miles towards Jesus, but I've just drawn a line that says it's not good enough. And I'm not interested in the hundred miles. You're either good enough or you're not. I might have a bunch of people who are actually staying as far away from Jesus as they can whilst just marginally staying within the lines but I'm telling them that they're great and everything's good. Like my line disempowers the story. My line disempowers who you are. It dehumanizes you in itself. Whereas what relationship does is we navigate towards Jesus together. We all get to ask each other, are you more in love with Jesus this year than you were a year ago? Are you more like Jesus? Are you closer to Jesus than you were a year ago? Are you Is your direction of travel towards or away? And there's where we make our discipleship challenges is this a choice that moves you away from jesus or a choice that moves you towards jesus and how do we help you navigate towards jesus so it's about relationship and and the, because we have an addiction to formula right like our human nature has an addiction to formula because what formula does is put me back in control hmm. if you tell me what i have to believe and you tell me what i have to do well if i do it and i believe it God is contractually bound to save me now because I've done the right things I'm now in control, and Jesus is my genie who has to do what I tell him to do whereas because so we always crave the formula if I pray for someone and they were healed, and the next time I pray for someone, I'll probably use the same language. I might wear the same pants like i don't I'll do whatever it does to kind of go oh that what's the formula that means that this person's going to be healed because if I configure the formula, I don't need Jesus. Because we're always trying to do this Christian way with as little need for Jesus as possible and as much need for control as we can manufacture out of it. That's the human condition. And Jesus-centeredness goes,
0: this is only ever about Jesus. Adam, uh, that that was fantastic. I I, I guess the, the sort of the final question that I want you to riff on today is, when I hear you describe all of this, I mean, there's so much passion, so much enthusiasm, and you use the word reimagine, right? In your seat, this is a way to reimagine, to reimagine Jesus, to reimagine the church. So many of the people that I find we are pastoring these days refer to it more negatively. And, and the term that gets used is deconstruction. I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm deconstructing my relationship with the church, whatever. You have this yeah. positive vision called reimagining or framed around reimagining so many people are walking right. away from the church because they're deconstructing you know what would you say to the person who finds himself in that deconstructing mode when it comes to just recentering around the person of Jesus and moving towards him at the center
1: right I, and i think what you've touched on there is like really the hub of it i've seen people deconstruct or reimagine or you know we there are things about the church that are frustrating. There are things that I've been, I was brought up believing that just got, I got to a point I was going, that doesn't hold anymore. Like, that, I cannot with any sense of like integrity say that I still believe that. Like, so firstly, my faith evolves. What I believe today is different from what I believed five or 10 years ago, and five or 10 years before that, and five or 10 years before that. Like, my theology shifts. And so, a, that's a really helpful recognition because too often we're kind of sold this very flat, two-dimensional scripture. Scripture is static. It's always true. It's always the same. It never changes. Mm. That's Jesus, not scripture. Like scripture evolves. Scripture is vibrant. Scripture is alive. There are some scriptures that carry more weight than other scriptures. Like it's not this two-dimensional thing. So there are parts of the Bible, like part of mine, you know, reading stuff in the Bible, you're going, man, that doesn't look a lot like Jesus. Like that doesn't, I thought Jesus, I thought God was loving and caring and kind and now I just see him like being vindictive and mean and petty and childish. Like what the, why am I supposed to follow that God? Like there are things that throw our faith into some crisis. And and the thing is, if we're just kind of going, well, I don't like it, or it makes me feel uncomfortable, or I can't hold that anymore, or that causes me trauma, or that causes me pain, or whatever our journey of deconstruction might be might be the scripture it might be the christians who have been around might be the all that sort of stuff and i can testify to all of that um it seems to me if we can find the courage to recognize you know i haven't heard anyone who's disconstruct who's deconstructing go well you know what jesus just really pissed me off <laughs> like when people read Jesus, they're kind of going, Man, I wish it was like this. Like our dis our, our the disphase, I guess, that is going on is kind of going, I see Jesus, but the faith that the Christianity I'm seeing around me doesn't look anything like Jesus. You know, Gandhi said, you know, if Christians behave like the guy they follow, like the whole world will be Christian. And like the so there's this if we can if we can recognize that this around all the crap and the struggle and the nonsense and the stuff that doesn't seem to make sense anymore and the frustration and the pain and the, all the stuff that maybe we've all experienced, you know, I have, like, if we can kind of go, but you know what, Jesus, I know Jesus makes sense. They like, it's the, the stuff in the Old Testament I don't get. Christians, I don't get. This, I don't get. This, I don't get. But like, if we can find the courage and the imagination to deconstruct around Jesus... Then I think that deconstruction, that reimagination, can be a really healthy, inspiring, wild journey. Um, when we don't, when we aren't anchored to anything, then we just run the risk of spiraling. We run the risk of falling apart. We un, we run the risk of not knowing who we are or what we stand for. Or they, we, you know, having that point and going, what. How do I read Scripture through the eyes of Jesus? How do I rediscover what God is like through the eyes of Jesus? You know, there's, there is one of our um, theological statements says that God always looks like Jesus. In Jesus Collective, one of the markers that we, God always looks like Jesus, and Scripture is properly read through Him. For me, that is such a profound statement. Um, it changes everything. If we can figure out how to deconstruct or reimagine. Reevaluate, revisit all the things we've been told, all the things we've grown up believing, but around the person of Jesus, and go: What does Jesus actually say about this? How does Jesus actually behave around this? How does who does Jesus reveal God to be? And then, how do I understand that in the rest of Scripture, in in, in the rest of my church experience, or whatever that might be? But the second theological marker that we have is that this is properly done in community, actually can only be done in community. Mm. In my own church, we have this saying, we have this phrase in our values that says, the way of Jesus cannot be lived in isolation. Yeah. We can only do it in community. Like, and so, however, as painful as that can be, as frustrating as that can be, as frustrating as Christians can be, we have to do it together with other people. And actually, it might be safe for a while to do that with like-minded people, People are asking the same questions. Jesus collective is, is beautiful. And it's, and finding people are asking those same questions is really safe. But we, as a means to, as a journey towards functioning, relating with, being in community with a whole range of people who aren't just like us, because diversity is another absolute feature of the kingdom. And we need to recognize that Jesus is revealed in a myriad of ways through all humanity and um pursue that as well. But yeah, if we can center our deconstruction or reimagination or however you want to phrase it, if we can center that around Jesus, it feels like a it seems like and the evidence seems
0: to be it's a much healthier journey. Yeah, for those listening, Southridge members and leaders, if we're reimagining or deconstructing can we do that around the person of Jesus and move towards Jesus at the center? I love that, Adam. We could go on forever, it sounds like, but uh, we got to wrap things up. I uh, have to make a round two in a couple of months, but uh, really appreciate you taking some time uh, to be here and look forward to chatting with you again and actually seeing you when we're uh, connecting here in Ontario or somewhere in Canada again real soon. Yeah, amazing. Uh, To all of you who are tracking with us, thanks again for being here. We'll see you in about seven days' time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.